Welcome to Supervision with a Vision. Today we're talking about returning to our offices for in-person sessions. The American Psychological Association recently published an article, COVID-19, When Is It Okay to Resume In-Person Services? Heather, have you begun to think about returning to your office? I've been thinking about it in the last week or so. I'm in a private practice. There are are three other um, colleagues that use the same office space, and so it's going to be important for us to probably make some decisions individually for our, our private spaces, but also collectively for the waiting room, things like that. I've had clients asking me, I think for the last two weeks at least, a couple of clients have asked, when can we come back to the office? So I have been thinking about it also and thinking about how ultimately it impacts supervision. Right. It really does impact how we do supervision, how Mm -hmm. we want to transition to do it Mm face-to-face. But then when would that be appropriate? So the American Psychological Association makes a couple of points. It's asking us first to consider, is an in-person visit necessary? There's no governing body that will require it. Um, But a thing to consider is, is the client, or maybe the supervisee also, is the person declining through the course of telehealth? Has their level of care gone down? Mm -hmm. Do you think, generally, you've seen a decline in your clients in the last couple of months? Maybe in some ways, but I don't know that it would justify an in-person session. Yeah, I agree. I think all of my clients, if I had to say across the board how my clients are doing, I think that they have all declined some in the last couple of months. I attribute some of that to stress levels, um, general mental health of our country and community, and some of that to the effects of telehealth. Right. I think some may to do with not connecting as closely as we could connect in person. We're all experiencing a different level of stress. And I think that sometimes, especially through social media, even commercials on TV, it heightens it. They see that and then they become even more anxious. And then somehow they believe that their anxiety is going to go down if they could just step back in our office again. And I think there's some legitimacy to when all of us can return to a routine that feels normal to us or comforting to us, then I think a lot of people's mental health will improve. A pattern that I have noticed is that here, our government began shelter in place right at the end of spring break. Yes. So a lot of the clients that I see are kids that had a week of spring break away from school and since then have not returned to their school and their routines. So what I have seen is that week one of spring break was fun and great and they were excited. Week two of being at home was almost like an extended spring break and they were still excited and and having fun. And then week three, week four, things were not as fun anymore. It was getting kind of boring and frustrating. They were lonely. They didn't have all of their hobbies. So they had a harder time getting along with family, doing tasks, getting things taken care of. And probably by the end of week four, around week five, I saw a pretty significant change in clients' mental health, right? Right. Their ability to cope and manage Mm -hmm. how things were going. I actually think I've seen an 
upswing a little bit since then. I think that so. Things, people are doing a little bit better. So I think I've definitely seen um, a fluctuation in people's mental health over the last couple of months. I would agree. There seems to be kind of dips and valleys and mountains to climb. But mm-hmm. I also think that it's affected like different age groups differently, different mm-hmm. family dynamics differently. I've had a couple of clients come back to therapy that I maybe saw for some couples oh, counseling yes. before. Mm-hmm. But now they're both trying to work at home and there's been some stressors there. So, I mean, I think it's gone, right. gone both ways. Right. I have um, a couple of college age clients that I thought were doing really well and being successful in college. And now that they're home and back in a family dynamic that they have a tough time with and not able to continue the routine that they felt successful in, they're right. having a hard time. That's yeah. a really big shift. Heather, I was thinking that, you know, related to the question, is an in-person session necessary? I was thinking that I can envision that there are some clients that they their circumstances might mean that it's necessary. And I'm curious what you think. In some trainings for telehealth that I've used so far, it's saying that someone who's suicidal is not appropriate for telehealth. And in different trainings, they're training or teaching that some people who are suicidal can be appropriate for telehealth. What right. do you think? I think they can be appropriate for telehealth. I think obviously if they're at home alone without another person around them, I think that's a scarier situation mm-hmm. to do telehealth in. But if they're in an environment where maybe they have some support services that are you know close to them or support network close to them, that might be okay. Mm-hmm. And I guess it really, for me, depends on the client and the situation. Right. That's what I was going to say. Like so many other things that we do, the answer is it depends. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was also thinking with a lot of my clients, I've had discussions with other counselors and dietitians on if you're working with someone with an eating disorder, how can you assess their level of safety or health if you can't see them? Mm-hmm. And then you can't really weigh them either. So mm-hmm. not all counselors who work with people with eating disorders are weighing them, but some do. Right. And certainly some healthcare professional is helping to monitor that for a lot of people. Right. There's actually an app you can download on your phone. That's I don't know fun. how this works, but it's a scale and it doesn't show you the number, but you can connect with your healthcare provider, doctor, mm-hmm. dietitian, counselor. And if you stand on your phone, oh. which sounds like, I don't no, know if no, I no. want to stand on my phone. Right. But if you stand on your phone, what I understand is that it will send your weigh-in to your healthcare provider. So then you've got a current weigh-in and you didn't have to know what the actual weight was. So for some people, that's upsetting. I don't know. There's so many ways that that could go wrong. Like I'm just thinking of all the creative ways that someone might dupe. Their iPhone? Right. Like um, quarters in your pocket or hand weights or something. I don't know. Or vice versa. Mm -hmm. I I don't know. One foot on, one foot Mm -hmm. off. That might be a scenario in which seeing a person sometimes or under some circumstances would be important. I don't know how much you have this in your practice, but I have some teenagers and actually some young adults that have a history of Mm self-harming. And so they don't walk into my office every week and I go, let me see your arms. I mean, it doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. But I know that that gives me a chance to like visually scan Mm -hmm. or like just pay attention to it. Something I'm kind of like looking for that I absolutely have lost the ability to do. Yeah. Do you know, I have two clients that in the past I have done that with them and and said, I know this is awkward or I know this is uncomfortable, but can you show me your arms? Mm -hmm. So maybe with some clients that would work and other clients that wouldn't be very effective. How do you think this works for supervision? Is there a time when an in-person visit is necessary for supervision? I mean, rarely is my gut Mm -hmm. intuition. I just think rarely would that be necessary. 
Mm-hmm. What if you're talking about something that's maybe more sensitive, like a remediation plan? That might be better done face-to-face. Mm-hmm. But even then, I think you and I are broadening our perspectives on telehealth, and maybe even that's something that could be done virtually. Right. Here's our answer again. It depends. Right, it depends. I mean, maybe if your situation with a supervisee is feeling really contentious and you're completing a remediation plan, maybe it would feel better to see that person in right. person. Um, but it depends. As we talk about supervision, one of the things that came up in my head was my supervisees are seeing maybe 15 clients, 20 clients, something like that. If we're talking about level of exposure, it really transitions to the part of the article that talks about risk. So that's our next topic. What are the physical and mental health risks of seeing someone in person versus not seeing someone in person? Um, with supervision at the forefront here, I think about me seeing my client load this many people. And then I'm going to see a supervisee who has had contact with this many people. And right. now I have probably doubled, tripled, quadrupled my right. possible exposure for me personally taking it back home to my family, but then also theirs. That's true of any person that you allow in your office. Right. Who have they been around? Who have I been around? Mm-hmm. That not everyone is sheltering in place in the same way. Correct. Related to probably to that fluctuation of how everyone's mental health is doing that I was talking about. I think that a lot of my clients, my supervisees, and even people I know personally started out being very careful and and being very thoughtful about how they were sheltering in place. And now with feeling a greater sense of stress, frustration, boredom, feeling lonely, I think a whole lot of people have uh, relaxed that and to different extents Mm -hmm. and are around people in a different way. We can't say that everyone is being safe in the same way. Right. I have a client that shared with me that same thing, that at the beginning, she was at home, her, her children, and her husband for four or six weeks. And then it was her parents' 50th anniversary or something. So she saw her uh, family then. It made me think like, okay, so each one of those situations also is a compounding factor. I think we have to look at ourselves as well. The people that we're around, that someone else, another family who's maybe being very diligent about shelter in place. And if we personally see friends Mm -hmm. or a greater variety of family members, or even if we have someone in our home that is an essential worker. So they're out and doing things and around people often that we bring that risk to our clients and our supervisors. There you know, are only so many things we can do to be responsible and take care of our office spaces. There's only so many things we can do to try and protect that there are also loopholes in that. No matter mm-hmm. how many things we try to implement, there mm-hmm. might be things you completely miss just by not being aware. Mm-hmm. One of the things noted in the article that I thought of instantly when I was reading it was your trash can should be close to your Kleenex box if you're seeing clients in person. And my trash can is not close to my Kleenex box in my office. And I went, oh, that's a great Mm -hmm. idea. I just need to move my trash can. I'm not ready to see clients in my office yet, but that was immediately what I thought of for future even. For my office, the way that is set up, something that I need to consider is that I'm not the only business in the building. So some people are more diligent about shelter in place or have less exposure. Maybe saying that someone is not as diligent about shelter in place is a little bit stigmatizing because maybe they don't have a choice. But people who have a greater exposure bring that risk to your office and you bring that risk to your office. But in my situation, uh, there are other businesses in my office. I actually have been doing sessions at my office virtually by myself for a long time now, and I haven't seen anyone else in the building. Everyone else is working from home. Okay. But in the last two weeks, gradually all of those businesses are coming back. And Mm -hmm. so I am seeing all those people again. I do think that they are being very courteous of each other and still maintaining a lot of distance. Well, that's great. Uh, So yeah, I, I really polite and thoughtful of, of 
each other in the building, but there is still some increased risk. So I appreciate that my property management has already asked us to do certain things to help manage that risk. But you're right, we could all be thinking about smaller things or even, um, you know, things that are unique to us or our office that can contribute to that, right. how we can mitigate that risk. Right. Some office spaces don't have or aren't set up to have a six feet distance mm-hmm. from each other. Mm-hmm. So if you're trying to maintain that, that could be difficult. Asking your client to wear a mask would really block some of their facial expressions. It might be more appropriate to continue seeing them mm-hmm. telehealth because you're getting at least something, some kind of expression facially. I've thought, I, I do see a lot of clients that have high anxiety that for some people coming back to the office will be a relief. And for some people coming back to the office will be an added stress. If I said, I don't think I plan to do this, but if I said, I'm going to see everybody back in the office, I'm no longer doing telehealth. Maybe I want to cancel my uh, subscription to my telehealth service. And I just say, I'm, I'm seeing everybody back in the office again. For some clients, that could be really anxiety producing. I agree. And then it wouldn't be reasonable for them. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't be what's in their best interest. Right. I also have some clients that I think for different reasons would define themselves as immune compromised or in okay. some way at a higher risk. Right. And that then to ask them to come back to my office would be really stress inducing. Bringing it back to supervisees and supervision. What are your thoughts like uh, overall, like about, am I crazy to think now we're doubling, tripling the pot of people that we're exposed to? I guess I'm thinking it's not specific to supervision. Yeah, that's true. It's not. Every um, new close interaction you have, you are increasing your risk. I need to grocery shop later today. Mm-hmm. That's a, right. a time where what we're talking about is what are the risks and how do we mitigate that by either creating new rules or reducing the risk in some way. So even going to the grocery store. A lot of surveys came out this week about whether kids are going to engage in sports or not. Mm-hmm. In our family, we have a child that really needs that activity level and really needs that. It helps him. It balances him. And he's over this time learned that that's important to him. He's had some uh, Zoom practices and things like that. But what does that mean for your clients that mm-hmm. may or may not engage in those sports? What does that mean for my kid? What impact does that have on your mm-hmm. work? As we're talking about it, I think that those are the types of risks that we have little control over mm-hmm. and can't manage. But we can, like we were discussing, establish new rules, right? Um, new structure in your office that can manage some of those risks, but the risks that you can't manage, like who the people you interact with or interacting with, that part you can't really manage. Um, one thing that's in the article that I really appreciated the idea of was a consent to return to your office. I did see that. I like that. It has a lot of ideas. And actually, if you're interested in looking at the article, it has a link online to an example of a consent that you might use for your office. Some of the things listed are acknowledging that there is a risk in coming back. Correct. And asking people to take some steps to help establish new rules and decrease the risk in coming back to your office. Right. It also made me evaluate a couple of different things in my practice. I work in a building that has doors that lock in the evening. I'm used to having my clients like text from the car when they're here Mm -hmm. and I go open a back door and let them in. Mm -hmm. I started thinking, does that work for all of my clients? Do Mm -hmm. I need to have anybody in the waiting room at all? Is that a way to eliminate risk? Mm -hmm. You just start thinking about like, does that work and how can I make that work? Right. There's other people that I work with in the same suite. Should we be staggering appointments so we don't have people in the hallways at the same time? Mm-hmm. Things mm-hmm. like that. I think this really applies to supervision and helping your supervisees think through each one of these steps and how they can do this. Yes. In my office, if I'm ever there late in the evening once the other businesses have left for the day, I lock the exterior door. Right. Really mm-hmm. just for many reasons, probably safety. Um, I'm not too concerned about the area that my office is in. But if I hear the door open and close and I know that I'm 
not expecting anyone mm-hmm. to open or close the door. It is distracting. It takes away from my focus with my session. So to minimize all of those things, I always lock the front door if I'm there by myself. So that's an example of something that I would talk through with my supervisees that right now, while we're trying to manage risk, that's something that we could maybe potentially put on this consent to return yes, to office. Absolutely. That that's how we're going to handle things. And so if you have an, an appointment later in the evening, that means you'll sit in your car mm-hmm. and send a message and then someone can come and unlock the front door for you. Right. I think it means not just for ourselves, but breaking down each one of those steps and thinking through how that process might change, but then asking our supervisees to do that as well. Right. Uh, you mentioned the complication that some of our supervisees, all of mine right now, don't work in my building with me. They work in a different building. So their risks that they're managing are different. Right. Some work in a clinic. Maybe they've had to go back to work already. Some that work flexible schedule and go in when they're ready to. One of my sessions last week was coaching someone on that it's okay to say, I'm not ready to come back. I'm glad you bring that up. I thought the exact same thing that you and I spoke from the perspective of people in a private practice who have some amount of control over these decisions. And there are a lot of counselors and supervisees and supervisors who don't have control over making these specific decisions for themselves. So then it becomes the role of the supervisor to help the supervisee advocate for themselves, feel okay with how these decisions are being made, also feel okay with the fact that they don't always have control over them. Right. I encourage my supervisee to talk with her uh, manager on site there and explain that I talked about this in supervision. These were things I hadn't been able to wrap my head around completely. And here's why I think it's better for me to still stay home and continue seeing my clients as we have for the past nine weeks. The thing that I have said to my supervisees in the last couple of weeks is that this is complicated and new territory for all mental health providers, all healthcare providers. What it means is that we need to continually reassess and support each other in making decisions like this that we haven't had to make before. And it may just change the culture of your office space, whether you're in a clinic or private practice. It may just change what your expectations are. Absolutely. I mean, I see this as a change in the culture of mental health and the way that we provide mental health. It's a a pretty big moment. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks today for listening to Supervision with a Vision. Again, today's discussion came from the American Psychological Association's article, COVID-19, When Is It Okay to Resume In-Person Services? You've been listening to Supervision with a Vision. Head on over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Be sure to check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Therapy Academy to join the conversation and get show notes. We'll be back next week with more Supervision with a Vision.